Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Gina Malico and Long on the line. Gina, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Great to have you. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a bit of time now. I don't know, remember when exactly you booked it, but I know it, it, it seemed like forever before we got to today's date. So I'm Things glad. that very big time horizons. Exactly. Exactly. So for people that aren't aware of your amazing work, why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think the most relevant thing is I have this obsession with performance and specifically with um, people getting results faster and with less effort. So I've dedicated 25 years of my life to studying systems and mechanisms and things like that, that help people, you know, pardon the colloquialism, hack their mind. Um, I'm a bit obsessed with the intersection of mind and matter. So I, I, you know, I have an undergraduate degree in engineering and a graduate degree in philosophy. So I kind of draw from systems that, that range from the very linear and practical to a little bit on the edge or uh, woo woo and uh, bring it all together so that it, and make it easy for people to understand. Um, on, on how they can get these results that they're trying to get by understanding how their mind body works and uh, just getting those pathways, you know, the path of least resistance is really what we're looking for. Exactly. The, the cleaner the system design, the better. And I'm oh. you know, a huge advocate for that because into the we, choir. <laughs> yeah, we, we overcomplicate things too often. And you know, I think it was Bill Gates and I'm sure other people have said it too. It's like, if I've got something new to design or new project, I give it to the laziest person because I know they're going to accomplish it in the least amount of steps. That's and it, it's it's kind of an interesting, it's like, that actually makes a lot of sense. It's like, I wish I would have thought of that earlier in my career because instead of just, you know, overwhelming my all-star too much, which I'm guilty of, including myself, uh, but then, you know, I would have said, here, I'm going to give it to this person because I know they're not going to do the greatest of job, but we're going to flush out all the unnecessary steps and it just, it makes it so much easier. And I think that's, and, and I know you know this and you experience it all the time when you're doing this work is, Again, we overcomplicate things, and then we also don't communicate about it with each other. So someone makes so many different assumptions or all the silos that we see in organizations, and you're like, it's amazing that anything gets done in some of these places. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, oh, God, if I had a penny for every time that there was a breakdown in, and I use the word communication, but I mean, just people communicating with each other. One person says one thing, assuming the other person is is receiving it as intended, and generally that's not the case. You know, it's like that game with the soup cans on the string, where you're like, "But I, but I was, you know, I was clear," and it's like, "Yeah, but your the results would indicate that you really weren't right." And I, I see this with leadership uh, specifically. You know, leaders think they're really clear, and this is even worse if the leader is uh, particularly skilled or high performing because they make the mistake that everybody is the, the achieved that same level of complexity that they have 
And so when they are communicating, they're baffled by the fact that it's not being received as intended, right? So this is a humongous issue for, I would call the C-suite, where there it's almost like, I mean, I train a lot of coaches as well, and it's almost as like if you, if you expect your client has too much ability, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but you're expecting them to be able to do more than they're actually developed to do. And so when you're communicating at your level, and they're not getting it, then you are literally the first part of the problem, right? Because you're over, you're, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're not taking into account. It's, you know what the analogy is? It's like not taking into account the language someone speaks, right? So, you know, if you, if you were talking to somebody who, who literally didn't speak English and they only spoke French, your only way of getting through to them would either learn French or do a bunch of mime signs. But if you just spoke at them in English because you know English, it just would bounce right off of them, right? Or, or uh, I also use the analogy of expecting your newborn baby to just get up and walk out the door because you know how to walk, right? And you gave clear instructions that the baby should get up and walk out the door. The baby hasn't developed yet. And so uh, it's a big problem uh, that leaders aren't, aren't taking the time to read people and, and kind of figure out how to adapt their own message and behavior so that it actually leads to successful um, execution by whoever they're communicating with. Yeah, if the babies could walk right away when they start crying, we'd say, okay, go outside for a few minutes, work yeah. that out, and then come back in. Yeah. But doesn't, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work that way, uh, unfortunately. But uh, And it's such a great analogy, too, because and it reminds me of an interview I did several years ago with Maestro Roger Nirenberg. Uh, he used to be the maestro for the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, cool. and he's a leadership consultant now. So what he does is he goes into organizations and he brings a small orchestra with him. And it's really cool what he does because basically he works with the team and upper management and front lines and, and all of that. And he sets up a small orchestra pit and he has the employees sit in the pit with the uh, musicians. And then he goes up on his podium and he starts and at the beginning when they're you know they haven't really practiced and all that it, it, it sounds like you know a, 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 a grade four band in september okay they're just starting it's bad and hopefully by june they, they've improved a little bit sometimes they don't but uh it's at least sounds a little bit more uh with a little bit more harmony i guess so what he does is he, they start playing and they get really good and it sounds good and then what he does is he starts bringing people up to the podium and he has the orchestra play the music again and it sounds completely different up there because of the acoustics and all of that and everybody's blown away on how different it sounds and he said that's leadership and the workers we see and hear things at a leadership level that the people that are doing the work in other levels don't see and vice versa. So it's like figure out how to, you know, connect the dots and figure out because making the assumption that somebody knows, even you're you're a board director and you're talking to your CEO and you say right. well, they, they should know this, like you said, they may not because that could have happened before they arrived there or it was some anomaly type of situation and they haven't actually experienced it. So it's it's giving each other permission to say could you elaborate a little bit more on that? I've got some questions about that. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. And if we just did that, I, I think it would cut out a 
big chunk of of the communication gaps, which of course you know turns into huge problems. And it, it's just something that is simple to do, but it's really hard, I think, for a lot of people. Well, I think I think the 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 role of the leader. So, you know, the companies. I mean, I've I've got a, a very extensive background working with C suites and business and blah blah blah. Um, they, they look at their organizations, they have all these levels and bands and managers and middle managers and all this jazz. The way we look at it here at Greatness U is there's three types of uh, people in an organization. There are the workers, there are the people doing a function. They, they have a job, whatever it is, making the widgets. There are the leaders of those people. So they're managers, middle managers, doesn't matter, but they lead the people. So they, they are indirectly impacting the outcome of the company. And then there are leaders of leaders. So this would be the executive leadership team or the board or whatever. Those three uh, functions have a very different um, uh, role in terms of complexity of thinking. You know, if you're a worker on the front line, you have to do your job. You have to be good at it, maybe optimize some processes here and there. And that's where it ends. The leaders of those people, now they need to start to develop their flexibility of behavior in managing other human beings, which very few people consider as being absolutely critical to success. I mean, we train people in marketing and sales and, you know, but we don't teach them how human minds work, how human beings function, the effect of stress on uh, performance, et cetera. We don't do that. And that's the first thing that you have to do when you manage another human is get results indirectly. And then there are the leaders of the leaders. So they have to have a level, like you said, standing up at the orchestra pit, they have to have a level of complexity of thinking that that's completely, um, you know, spiraled up from everyone else because they're almost like a chess player, you know, seeing four, five, six moves ahead. And they have to incorporate that into their planning, but also in their language and communication. And, and I think that the, the, the more that the leader can understand what their complexity is and what the the layer that they're communicating is whatever it is you know what the discrepancy is and meet them there instead of trying to require people to you know my way or the highway it's adapt your own uh, communication style or your message or whatever it is that you're doing to meet people where they're at right i just i just did another interview um and one of the things we teach is a, a, a language model and um, people prefer um, one of the of four modalities. They're either visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or they're digital. So I could say to you, um, here, in fact, I'll do it to you. Tell me which one you like the best. So I could say the phrase, hey, does this look good to you? Can you see what I'm saying? Or I might say, uh, does this sound good to you? Is it starting to resonate? Or I might say, does this feel good to you? Are you getting that sort of gut reaction to what I'm saying? Or I could say, are you starting to understand what I'm saying and process this information further? And they all say the same thing communication-wise. But notice how there was one that just kind of worked for you, which I'm just curious which one it was. Uh, I think it was the feel one. Right. So that would mean that you're more inclined to be kinesthetic. So what I would do as a leader, knowing that, is when I come to communicate to you, I would actually communicate that in ways that are effective for the kinesthetic. I would slow down. I would um, be deliberate. I would use kinesthetic predicates, right? I would make sure that we were, uh, whatever um, proximity was comfortable to you, I would make sure that that's what, where we were. So all of these things 
factor into the success of the communication packet. And very few leaders understand these very basic mechanisms of the mind. They just don't know them. Where would you have learned that? So that's the kind of stuff that we focus on is really teaching practical, simple, mechanistic models that help you actually achieve these big goals that you have faster and with less effort. It makes a ton of sense too. And I, I think it helps when individuals, you know, no matter what level they are in the organization, if they have a better understanding of who they are and, you know, what motivates them, how they process information, you know, what type of language to speak, you know, whether, you know, again, whether it's, you know, in person or, you know, by text message or that, right, you, you, right. Figure, you figure out. And it was one of the things that I did whenever I worked for an organization early on is I would go to, if it was a board of directors, I'd go to the board or if a, I had a, you know, a singular reporting mechanism and I just reported to one boss, I would say, how do you want me to communicate with you? Let's, let's frame out now the communication times, what makes sense, you know, hours of availability, totally. get all that, all that at the beginning. It's like how, what works for you? Do you want just a debrief at the end of the day? Do you want ongoing? What, what makes sense? Yep. And, and I said, you know, early on, you're going to hear from me a lot more because um, I'm learning the organization and I'm going to have some questions. So instead of bombarding your inbox, why don't we have just a standing meeting for the first couple months on Thursday afternoon at 2.30 or, you know, a time that works yeah. well for them. And by doing that, uh, you know, after, you know, maybe three or four meetings, they say, you know what, you, we've got it. Everything's sorted out. We, we don't need to meet and we leave maybe once a month or whatever. And then we just, you know, adapt it accordingly. It's just in, it's something as simple as that, just to make sure that everybody is communicating in a way that works for everybody. It just, again, it makes it so much easier and it catches those issues. And I had a conversation earlier today uh, with an organization that's having, you know, some some growth pains and some challenges. And, you know, there's uh, a couple people in the leadership suite that are, there's some trust issues. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And it, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's get to the bottom of that. You know, why don't you trust this person or this group? And, and I, time and time again, and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm sure you've seen where those situations like that, it's not necessarily that person that they don't trust. It's a past experience they had and something's reminding them of that. So they just automatically applied that filter uh, to the situation when in honesty, it probably should have never been applied, but it, it's just the human dynamic is always interesting and in getting people to work together um, it seems to be getting more and more challenging and I, I'm guessing, you know, a follow-up question on this is I'm sure you've seen, you know, during the pandemic as well, that there was some interesting dynamics thrown into all this as well. Well, you know, it's funny because um, the, the, you know, when I'm speaking in, in like on a stage to CEOs, which is something I do often, I'll ask them what they think the number one leadership quality is that they can develop. You know, if you only had to pick one and you you could only develop that leadership quality, what would you pick? And I get all kinds of answers from, you know, empathy, uh, vulnerability, communication, whatever. Um, and then I return to them with it's, it's flexibility of behavior. The best leaders 
in the world are the ones who can adapt to whatever situation is presented in front of them, including people, whether they're, um, you know, uh, people that they need to know that, that meet once a week or speak a language or rep systems, values, whatever, the more the, the leader can adapt, the better. So, um, you know, Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. My very first performance review at Procter & Gamble, way, way, way back at the very beginning of my corporate career, um, they they told me that that was going to be the most important thing to focus on is the development of my leadership skills. So right out of the gate, they were grooming me to manage humans by recognizing that it had nothing to do with who I was and everything to do with understanding who I was interacting with. So what happens during a crisis, and you can see some of the things on my chalkboard, I've just been teaching actually uh, CEOs um, a course specifically on values. And um, one of the things that happens in a crisis is, um, well, here, you can see the thing right behind me where it says A to ACME. ACME is the Greek word for highest point. So that's about getting to your next highest level. So this is what we, the topic we were talking about. So you could perform at that level, but what happens in a crisis is the stress of the crisis knocks you back to your most comfortable neurological performance zone, right? So whatever that behavior is, you get knocked back in a crisis. It's a little bit like fight or flight, but not quite. That's not exactly the right way of talking about it. So in the crisis, there we have, you know, if you think about leadership's development, especially in the last 20 years or so, it's been very collaborative. Leaders have been required to open up and, you know, and become more reachable and more uh, vulnerable and things like that. And, and everybody's doing a great job. The thing is, that when the environment changed, crisis, they actually needed to go back to a more authoritarian style because even some of their peak performers got knocked backwards because of the stress of the change. And so that's when the leader had to recognize that they needed to step in and actually revert back to a little bit more, do this, do that, do this, do that, so that they could, um, sh you know, keep the ship above, you know, floating, so to speak. Very few leaders did that well because they had it in their mind, this dogmatic thing like, oh, well, that's not, you know, I don't want to be an authoritarian or whatever the baggage is of the last 25 years. And they did not adapt appropriately to the circumstances and they got crushed. The ones who killed it are the ones who could pivot in the crisis. And pivot is another word for change. And there's a point there, point C, that's a pivot point. Pivot is another word for change. And the ones who could ascertain the situation and respond appropriately, not um, dogmatically or according to some advice, you know, given out of context, but rather to look and see what they had. You know, if you've got people who were knocked back into their homes, having to do 25 Zoom calls a day while in a, in a studio apartment with their kids and their dog and their fish and their partner, they're, they're, how, how could they perform? There needed to be an adaptation, right? And so maybe in that situation, the leadership takes over a bit. Yes, that's authoritarian, but absolutely appropriate. It's sort of like wartime versus peacetime. Right. I did a, I did an interview with a military guy and he was like, Oh, that's wartime versus peacetime. In peacetime, we like, you know, encourage everybody and all their input. And then it's wartime. It's like, nope. I say you do end of conversation. Those are obviously extreme examples, but it, 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 it highlights this, this thing that I say. And I've written about this in, in well, specifically 
Thinkorsink, which is now 13 years old, so obviously not that new. But that was during a previous crisis, and uh, I was talking about flexibility of behavior. You want to be you want to be a leader that that endures and survives and is is aspirational and inspirational. You've got to be the one who reads the room and adapts to match the situation. Yeah, it's definitely. There's so many analogies. Obviously, the you know wartime and peacetime, or I thought about you know practice and a you know for a team that's a yeah. sports team and sure. practice. You know they're they're doing things. They're you know practicing and all that stuff game time comes you know what are they doing they're they're listening to the coach the coach is yeah. saying do this cover this guy go over here why why are you over there you know you know yeah. focus on this okay you're not shooting well so pass it off unless the shot is clean and if it's still not good then you know pass it off or you know sit you on the bench but you know obviously i want to keep you in because you're great at defense but you're not helping us score and we need you know, we're down by 10 so we're gonna have to you know bring you out for a bit but again it, it's that you know, agile way of leadership of just, again, read, like you said, reading the room and going, okay, this is what we need to do. And, you know, in those situations where, you know, a lot of teammates were getting overwhelmed because of, you know, having to work from home, they got their kids. Okay. Everybody figured out, wait a minute, my kids are in school, usually around the time that I was working. And right. how is that working? It didn't right. work well. No. Um, no. It was a disaster uh, for a lot of different reasons. But you know, those strong leaders realized, okay, we're going to have to rein this back a little bit. Yeah. And you know, the great ones also did this. And I always tell people this, don't forget to talk to the customer, by the way, uh, because that seems to be, oh, wait a minute, we're going to do this and this. Like, Find out what your customer needs right now. And so many companies that did really well you know, scaled back what they offered and just said, okay, we're going to offer our customers. This is what they need right now. They don't need so much right. of this other stuff from us, yeah. but they need this right now. So give them that. And it's just basically, okay, let's simplify, you know, do a little, I think it's called tabula rasa, you know, just going to, you know, or clean slate. Uh, what I think that's the thing. But anyway, um, just go easy, ease into it. Give yourself permission to skin your knee, bump your head, because this is all uncharted territory for a lot of people. Right. And and just you do what you can do and encourage along the way. Because, you know, especially in those early days, uh, every, everybody was, okay, how do we work and all this stuff? But they were also trying not to die. You know, that was kind of a, a big thing too. And, you know, unfortunately, so many people did and loved ones and seniors, of course. You know, we saw some huge numbers in that. So you, you have all of these external factors tossing into it so people's mindsets were just right and and that's the point is that you you the it was the circumstances that were requiring an adaptation and if you're not in the habit as a leader of being adaptable and agile having flexibility of behavior if that's not your mo when the stress is on you're certainly not going to adapt it at that point so um you know, when I, when I, when I'm stressing with leaders is this flexibility behavior. This is not some nice thing or some soft skill or some, you know, thing you do when you're not really working on your business. Your job, if you're leading leaders, your job is to know how humans work generally, right? You need to know, you know, how um, performance is acquired, what what obstacles, the effect of obstacles and things like that are. But then you also need to know how the specific humans in your organization work, right? I, again, I go back to my work at P&G because it was so, so long ago and so impactful. I didn't 
realize until I could unpack it years, decades later, how good they were at reading me. So, you know, psychological profiles, testing, uh, situational management, et cetera, et cetera. They knew me. They were like one step ahead of me to the point where it was like weird. I was like, wow, how did they know? But it speaks to the success that they had over when I, you know, I mean, it hasn't been a lot of years since I worked there, but they, they were continuously producing successful results because of this recognition approach of more or less if we take a mechanistic approach, human being performance is, is relatively predictable, right? Focus on what you want, choose positive emotions, have physiology of exigence, take action. That's pretty much it, generally. But then to understand the inner workings of the people who work for you, we could, we could sit here and talk about a thousand tests, right? Myers-Briggs, DISCs, et cetera, et cetera. Those, those things are important because they highlight how you can optimize someone else exactly as they are. So not by changing them because you don't have permission to change people as the leader. So instead you go, oh, I get it. This person, you know, Michael needs me. It's going to be more effective and my communication is going to be more successful if I use kinesthetic uh, approaches to communication. Okay, make a note of that. And that's what I do. But then let's say there's Susie next door and she's the complete opposite. She's a fast talking visual, uh, you know, multitasker from New York City who likes to speak uh, quickly and, and close and debrief everything every hour. Then I've got to adapt for that in the next situation, right? Otherwise, I don't get the best performance out of you and the person beside you. But that's my job as a leader. And if at this point, your, your audience is listening and they're like, okay, but when am I supposed to do my real job? I've got some news. This is your real job. And you probably know this as well as I do, Michael. If you're a leader of leaders and you're still working in the function of the business, <laughs> something's wrong with the system. Okay. Your job when you are a leader of leaders is people, period. That's it. Not necessarily just culture. But performance, how do you get better performance out of your executive leaders? How do you enable them to get better performance out of whoever they lead? And so on and so on down the line. This is a level of mastery of the mind. And it's not complicated. It's just very few people have taken the time to, to break it down. Like, how does it actually work? How do I get better performance? Like, when was the last time you thought about that with respect to the people in your organization? And I'm not talking about optimizing the little widgets. I'm talking about the humans. They're your greatest asset. They're so important. And I see, you know, especially managers that were promoted to director level. It's like, okay, you got, you have to leave that tool bag behind. It's great that you know how to do it, but that's not why you're in your role. Now right. you got to deal with, with people and, you know, the fact going back to what you said early on about your your degree in in engineering, and then uh, you decided to get a degree in the brain, and it's uh, those are some amazing skills to have, and it, it, it's it, it it just makes you get to understand how people act and react in many cases, and of course, you know, using all the tests that you can to, you know, fine tune, okay, this is how this yeah. person works. And I yeah. love how you, I love how you, you, you point it out. And this is really important. A lot of, I think a lot of people that have their employees do these tests, miss this step yes. is, okay, great. So you're a 
gold on true colors or something mm-hmm. or blue gold or what i forget what it was okay. i just i i just i just remember having uh, the my boss and i and we were opposites in a lot of different ways but we both scored the same and she had literally it was like a 30-minute conversation with a facilitator he had to get her out of the room she was like there is no way he's like me she was really upset about it everybody else is kind of laughing i'm like Okay, why is this so bad to be like me? Uh, but right. because she she was her self portrayal of herself was in a line with the colors, but she didn't see how I could be that. So he went over great detail of what I did, and it it bugged her for weeks. And I'm like, uh, literally, I was like, do I? you know, start color coding my office, you know, get some decor in there and change it up a little bit. But I thought, no, let's not poke that bear too much. I still like being employed. Uh, But at the end of the day, the step that people don't take is like, okay, now that I know this employee needs this type of experience, when we come into a crisis situation, that's the version of my leadership that I will apply to them. So that way it's already stressful. That way, you're like it's like going to somebody that's you know you know Myers Briggs, right? You're you're an introvert. Okay, guess what? I'm gonna have you give a presentation to the right. 500 people, right? And you know, all of a sudden, you you see them turn kind of white, and then they collapse. Well, you like that, that's super important. That's like such a huge distinction that I want to point it out because there's a difference between understanding what creates peak performance. Okay. There are absolutely skills and traits and qualities that are more conducive to better performing, right? That, that's for sure. But, and so a lot of leaders that I work with or that I work with privately, they want this, but then they make this mistake of thinking that they have to inflict these principles upon their people. And the distinction is you don't have permission to change the people in your organization. So while it might be more productive to be someone who focuses on what they want instead of move away from what they don't want from a, from a perspective, you have to work with what you have and you have to accept what you have because you don't have permission to change. So it's like there's a, there's a difference between knowing what the optimal philosophical, you know, um, best state is for performing performance or results, but then also recognizing the, the humans that work for you, they are in these optimal states and you don't have permission to change them. So how do you leverage what you've got? Now you can create environments and situations that that draw the people to want to change that's that's great like if you get people who you know decide they they want to perform better and they ask for help sure then go nuts but until that time they just work for you right like that's the biggest complaint ceos will say to me is oh i wish my people were more like me and i say no you don't there's no way because first of all if they were like you they wouldn't work for you because they'd have their own company and secondly if they were what what the ceo is saying is i wish they could get the results that i get but that ceo doesn't understand how humans get results so how are they leveraging the the mechanisms right and i just want to be clear here because i talk a lot about mechanistic models and that's the engineer in me and and that gives us a really simplistic model of the mind if we look at it like a machine we can tinker with the variables we get better results but i want to be clear that i don't think humans are machines i actually think we have an x factor that is not mechanistic but in order to access it it's like kind of like maslow's hierarchy you've got to be functioning at a certain level before you're going to be 
you know, stepping out through your obstacles on purpose. And as leaders, we have to get the machine working as, you know, as best we can. And then we need to give it the space, like you were saying, give it the space to grow and, but not to, that's not top down, that that's, that's supported from the bottom up. And that comes from being a leader who knows who they're talking to and actually uses that information, not to divide and separate, because that's not the point. The point is to understand the other person, to adapt yourself. Here's the biggest compliment you can get as a CEO or a leader of leaders is that you're like a chameleon. So you show up to everybody like they're perfect manager or leader, right? So you could have people who are visual, auditory, kinesthetic, you know, um, values levels all over the place, disc colors or disc uh, segments all over the place, colors all over the place, Myers-Briggs all over the place. And each one says to the other one, oh my God, I love that leader because they get me. They're exactly like me. And and each one of those people is totally different. So that what you're doing is you're in an invisible way, adapting yourself like a chameleon to look like, because what that is the basis of rapport is to be like someone else. And so the minute you can establish that kind of deep rapport, then you can lead people. That's what's required. So much leadership gold. We could talk for each other for hours <laughs> on this. So Gina, I love this conversation. Where can people find out about you and this amazing work you're doing? Well, you know, I, I've always thought about this. I mean, I send you my website, but um, go to my link tree because if you go to link tree, so linktr.ee slash Gina Molicone, which I'll just spell it for you because it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, G-I-N-A-M-O-L-L-I-C-O-N-E. If you go to that, that's the thing we keep updated the most. First of all, it's got all the links to my socials. So whatever socials your jam, click and follow. I, I, I do want to share, there was a particular video that I did that got, that's gone viral on TikTok of all places. It's sitting at over 300,000 views. I did it like on a, on a Saturday morning. It was like, you know, I, I'll, I'll do some filler here. And it was how to have a conversation, a, a con, like a difficult conversation with someone you're in conflict with. Well, I've gotten so much feedback on this post that I've reposted it all over the place. Um, but it was a very simple, like two minute, not even one minute technique that is a linguistic technique that has like liberated apparently um, more than a quarter of a million people. So I'm going to bring that up because that's going to get value to the person listening to this, but that link tree will have, you know, our latest free webinars or whatever we're up to. Um, so whenever you listen to this, it'll be current. That's awesome. I'll definitely have that all in the show notes and congrats on going viral on something. You're just like, eh, I'm going to record something. Oh, that, no, that's, like that's usually how it works. You put out the greatest content ever. You're looking at it. I said, this is my Da Vinci. This is perfect. And you know, five people look at it and you're like, right. Yeah. What the, I know, I know, I know, I know it's about, but see, it's taught me something too, which is flexibility of behavior. First of all, going on TikTok, I was like, are you crazy? And secondly, um, Oh, so that like, Everything that's gone crazy has been about conflict, difficultness. Like it really gives you, it reminds you what you think is important doesn't matter. It's what's important out there that matters. So for even for me, it's been um, flexibility of behavior, like walk the talk. It's important stuff. So Gina, love this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show and continued success at everything you're doing. Thank you so much for having me and have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.